0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Australia has largely fallen behind the rest of the world when it comes to action on climate change. Even our closest allies regularly criticise our government's slow approach to tackling the issue. While polls show a majority of Australians actually want to phase out our reliance on fossil fuels and move to renewables, There are some who are uncertain about how this future looks. Today, social researcher and contributor to the monthly, Rebecca Huntley, on what ordinary Australians really think about climate change and how the fossil fuel lobby has influenced their hearts and minds. It's Monday, December 13th. Rebecca, you spend your time talking to voters, people in swing seats about their beliefs on climate change. That's your job. But can you tell me how that works exactly what it is that you do?
1: <laughs> so um, I laugh because a friend of mine once said that I'm an expert in the views of people who don't know what they're talking about. But basically, I'm a, I, I understand what public opinion is. And I do that largely through what we call qualitative research, which some people would call focus groups or interviews, but I also work with people who do polling and surveys. And I've been doing that pretty much for 20 years. And in the last three years, my focus has been almost entirely exclusively on understanding how Australians feel about climate change and renewable energy. Right. So
0: how do they feel? What do people tend to say to you?
1: Yeah, look, the vast majority of Australians are either worried about climate change or supportive of the, of the ways in which we can act on climate change, so renewable energy. However, there is huge reservoirs of frustration. You know, there is also a level of despair and confusion and uncertainty. It's weird being in the middle, like torn both ways. I'm part of the fossil fuel industry, but I've got another part of me that wants to make a change. There are people who are trying to make ends meet largely accept the climate science, but don't know what the plan is. So if it was up to me, I I wouldn't be working in the coal mine. It's very
0: polarizing being a coal miner. I guess there is a fear in our line of work that one day we're gonna be out of work and that's a worrying thing for a lot of people, I'd say.
1: They actually want to imagine a different future where we can get over this. They just don't know how we're gonna get there. The rest of the world are doing it. They're slowly, you know, weaning off coal. Why can't we start that now? What has also happened in the last three years, which has been an extraordinary shift, is people realise we're at the back of the pack globally, not just on action on climate, but where we should be on renewable energy. They worry about that.
0: I don't think that climate change and the opportunities that renewables will bring, I don't think that has been effectively communicated to people in in
1: the region. But more broadly, this kind of general sense that we're being called out globally for being laggards or complacent is not something that people feel that comfortable with.
0: Mm. Okay, so it sounds like views on climate change, they are shifting even among people who work in the fossil fuel industry. But I suppose how does that translate, Rebecca, to the way that these people think about their own jobs and also the mining industry as a whole?
1: Well, there are also moments of extraordinary dismay that I have, a particular group that I was doing in the seat of parks. This was a group of people, none of whom were involved directly in fossil fuels, all of whom were in things like disability services, childcare, nursing. So really, really important jobs for the health and safety and economic prosperity of that region. And when we were talking about how many jobs there were in fossil fuels versus how many jobs there were in the industries, the combined industries in which they are all employed, there was this sense of our jobs, we cost the country money. We don't generate wealth, but in fossil fuels, one job in a coal seam gas project or one job in a coal mine, then that creates wealth. And so it was very disconcerting, it was actually kind of a bit depressing that these people who, were, who are absolutely critical to the economic and well-being of our nation kind of devalued their own work in the face of a comparison with fossil fuel jobs. As a result of this sense of the primacy or the centrality of fossil fuels in our economy and our society, it sparks a whole lot of anxiety. And I've learnt the hard way that merely putting evidence in front of people about that doesn't always shift them as quickly as we might want
0: Right. Okay. So you're hearing people essentially devalue their own work, their own jobs. They tend to think that mining jobs are more important. Are there other beliefs that people have about the fossil fuel industry that have surprised you?
1: Yeah, look, the three main areas where people are constantly misled on are things like jobs, the numbers of jobs that are directly in fossil fuels. And Climate of the Nation study consistently shows every year that people tend to overestimate the numbers of people who work in the fossil fuel industry. They often put it at kind of 9%, 10%, but it's actually about 1%. Subsidies, people imagine that the industry isn't subsidised at all, or royalties and profits of the industry vastly outweigh the subsidies. And of course, the other thing that people tend to overestimate is the extent to which the fossil fuel industry will grow in the future. So there are some people that think that it will just continue to do well, mainly because they think that China and India will continue to want it. So people tend to to see things like the decline in coal and gas globally as an anomaly rather than as a trend.
0: And so, and I suppose this is the crucial question, what underlies these misconceptions? Why do people have these beliefs that seem so far from the reality of the industry?
1: Well, the fossil fuel industry has spent decades and millions and millions of dollars on public um, campaigns on top of political donations to really say to the Australian public, you can't live without us. It's a kind of toxic relationship where there's this sense where they realise that it's not good, but they can't imagine an alternative. Without a doubt, all the money that the fossil fuel industry has paid over the decades have worked. They've worked, they've been incredibly effective and they've created a kind of a vision that throwing mere facts at that vision... And that people is not always going to break down those barriers, as we've seen.
0: We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
1: For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Rebecca, the views that people have about the fossil fuel industry, they don't come from a vacuum. They're influenced by media coverage, PR, what the industry itself tries to sell, so let's talk about that. Can you tell me a bit more about the fossil fuel industry's campaigns over the
1: years? Australians applaud success in life, in achievement, in sport. So growing up, you know, BP did a whole series of these extraordinary ads. It's just one more way that BP is quietly getting on with the job of developing Australia's many different energy resources. Some of them showed something from a man from Snowy River, but, you know, in a coal mine.
0: BP Australia,
1: quiet achiever. And then others were extraordinary, these Australian icons like the opera singer Dame Joan Sutherland and a whole lot of, you know, Olympic swimmers kind of just smiling into the camera. The most important source of energy in Australia lies just below the surface of these Australians. I suppose an example of Australian hard work, guts, achievement, ingenuity, kind of using those kinds of people who'd excelled in sport and the arts and other things and link them to fossil fuels, which is kind of fascinating.
0: By sponsoring and supporting achievers in the community, BP is proud to help develop
1: the energy that really keeps Australia going. BP Australia, the quiet achiever. And there was never really much of a difference between the The pitch of, of an ad that was for beer <laughs> and mining, right? How does it happen? You're painting a sign or digging a mine? And you're strange you think that you'll... So it was all about the great Aussie spirit. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer and the best cold beer is dick. Trying hard and working hard and building things and this practical down-to-earth, but at the same time, Um, majestic energy. And then you would think, how could we possibly live without it? That is really difficult to dislodge, particularly in the absence of effective leadership that posits an alternative vision of the future.
0: Mm. Right. So that's the, the kind of story that the fossil fuel lobby has been selling to the public for years then. But I'm curious about what you think about the relationship between the fossil fuel industry and our political class? Because influencing the public through campaigns is one thing, but isn't having influence over those who actually make the decisions the real game here?
1: Yeah, look, it's all about influence, right? It's about influencing your colleagues, influencing stakeholders and influencing the public that this is a future that they should sign up for. And a lot of that storytelling around the central role of fossil fuels is doing some heavy lifting for those politicians who are beholden to the fossil fuel industry through donations. OK, Mr
0: Palmer says the political donations made by Queensland Nickel helped the Palmer United Party abolish the carbon tax.
1: So what those kinds of leaders who are beholden to the fossil fuel industry rely on is because is all of this um, role of the fossil fuel industry in, a, in the imaginary.
0: You, know, you can't say Australia is to blame for apparently the planet going to blow up. Uh, if we got rid of every coal mine in this country, basically it would make no difference to carbon emissions or the coal industry.
1: So, you know, Matt Canavan can kind of, you know, keep going on Twitter with coal dust all over his face. They're able to tap into that, to use that for their own political ends. And, you know, you can have... You have our Prime Minister bring a lump of coal into Parliament. This is coal. Don't be afraid. The Don't treasurer be scared. The treasurer knows the I mean, interestingly... Chris Bowen brought a solar panel into parliament. This is renewable
0: energy. Don't be afraid of it. Don't will, run away from it. The member for McMahon will put the
1: this is and waved at the prime minister and said, don't, you know, you shouldn't be scared of this. And because we don't have this new engaging story because we haven't had a whole lot of our leaders talk about what that looks like, a story where we protect our environment and move towards renewable energy in a way to address climate change, but also to set us up for a more prosperous and safe future, because we haven't spun an effective story, a public narrative around that. The politics of climate change, this is one more thing that makes action on climate change harder for our political leaders to achieve.
0: Mm -hmm. And Rebecca, it seems like a lot of the success of the fossil fuel industry, it really comes down to their ability to tell stories about who they are and who we are and reframe the way that we think our economy works and how much we should be relying on fossil fuels. But things are changing. Over the last few years, we've seen huge climate movements arise. So do you think that this era might be over? Do you think that that power might be dwindling at all?
1: It is. It's breaking down. And the moment that people start talking about renewable energy in the same kind of terms of value, community support, intergenerational advancement, all of those are the kinds of things that they have attached for so long to the fossil fuel industry and still do. The moment they start talking about whether it be a nature-based solution to climate change or renewable energy, most start to- talking about that in those terms, then we will have arrived. So much of our effort should be in that direction. As, as, as important as as significant as climate strikes are, as the rising numbers of independents challenging the two political parties, what I'm really looking for is in in regional and outer suburban Australia that people, first of all, value their own jobs regardless of where they are versus the fossil fuel industry. See the fact that if they're a nurse or a teacher or, you know, whatever, that that is still adding value. That's as, as important as being a coal miner. But there is also this idea of how can we have a prosperous, safe and secure Australia where renewable energy, where we're extraordinarily well-placed to generate, is, is at the centre, takes the place of fossil fuels in the Australian imaginary. That's what I would love to see happen.
0: Rebecca, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Queensland has reopened its borders to interstate travellers today after reaching a double vaccination milestone of 80% of the eligible population. However, visitors will still be required to test negative to COVID-19 within the previous 72 hours before arriving into the state. And more than 100 people have died in the United States after a series of powerful tornadoes hit a number of southern states. President Joe Biden described the disaster as an unimaginable tragedy.